You're listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. Welcome back to another edition of uh, Neighbors and Nations. I'm excited to host this podcast. And today I'm especially excited to have someone of a new acquaintance for me. I've only met Scott right out once, and I sure enjoyed him speaking at the Global Partners Weekend when we were in Hilton Head, oh, several months ago. And Scott, welcome to Neighbors and Nations. My privilege, Todd. Thanks so much. I'm really glad you accepted the interview. I know you didn't know me from Adam when we first met, and you were so uh, hospitable and kind and willing to come on the podcast. So thank you for that. I'm glad to do it. I know anytime uh, I find leaders who want to focus on missions, on evangelism, I definitely want to have a conversation with them. Well, let's start that conversation today. Won't you give us a brief bio? Like, who is Scott Rideout? Well, I grew up in Virginia and uh, went to Virginia Tech. I, uh, I was the son of a United Methodist pastor who himself was a non-believer growing up. And he decided one day he wanted to seek God, walked into a church down the road. It happened to be a Methodist church. They were actually preaching the gospel. He came to Christ. And, and then uh, he decided to go into ministry. So uh, that's what he did. So we traveled quite a bit across Virginia. I lived in a number of places. And my, uh, I went to Virginia Tech, got an engineering degree, came to Christ at Tech Brew Crew. And i uh, talk about that sometime maybe. But uh, met my wife there, Lisa. We've been married 32 years. We have three kids. One's in Omaha, Nebraska. He's 26. One is in Phoenix. He's 22. He's in, he's in ministry. And then my daughter is 24 years old. She's a doctorate student for physical therapy. And we now live in Florida. So we've moved around quite a bit. So you were a Hokie, is that right? I'm a Hokie. You still are a Hokie in Florida. I, I am a Hokie. Yes, especially <laughs> since la, you know, the last time we played University of Virginia, we slaughtered them. So yes, definitely a Hokie. So. <laughs> That's good. Um, so you were a pastor's son and you were also a pastor. Is that correct? That's correct. I was a pastor in Arizona, well, South Carolina for five years and while I went to seminary at Columbia. And then I went out to Arizona in 1993, was the youth pastor at a church out there called Sun Valley. It was a church plant. And I loved it because it was so evangelistic minded and the kind of people who were coming to that church weren't people that ever went to church before. And about five years in, they the founding pastor left and uh, he looked at me and said, you're the guy to take over. And I very promptly grew up from 400 people down to 200 in my first year of leadership. And, <laughs> but then God was gracious to us. And when I left in 2014, there were about 5,000 people on three campuses today. There's about 9,000 on six campuses. So they're doing, they're doing pretty well. That's good here. And I want to get more to that story later, but let's go back a little bit. You are a pastor's son. You are a pastor. Uh, tell me a little bit about maybe two points of your story your conversion, then perhaps we'll use the word calling. Like who was influential in that um, whole yeah. um, range of growth for you there? So uh, I went to tech. I wasn't a believer. I had actually given up on church. I was what I call church damaged. I, hmm. I believed in God, but I didn't believe in church. And I decided just to, to be done with the whole church thing. There was a guy in my dorm named John Hayward who had a random phone call strategy. He would go to the campus phone book he'd pick a, pick a name and call them. And he called me and said, I've got this four point outline in the New Testament. Would you like to talk about it? I said, no. And he said, why not? And I said, well, I'm a pastor's kid. I probably know it anyway. And he said, well, can I come ask you some questions? Cause I'm new to this thing. And I'm like, sure, come on over. And he shared with me something called the four spiritual laws. 
And uh, law one, God loves you. Law two, man is simple and separated from God. And he's like, do you know what sin is? And I said, well, I'm in a fraternity. What do you think? And uh, he said, yeah, you're a sinner. <laughs> and <laughs> and, uh, and then Christ died on the cross is not law three. And then we must individually see Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord was law number four. Well, I had no, never heard number four. Never heard about a personal decision for Christ that you actually had to do that. I thought being a pastor's kid, going to church, confirmation, that made me a believer. And so over the next couple of months, I rescued, you just wrestled with what it meant to be a believer and gave my life to Christ. And then John mentored me. And after he left, uh, graduated, I had another guy mentor me who was, uh, who was works with athletes in action. And so we had lots of famous athletes that were at Virginia Tech at the time, and I would work with them and he would work with them. One day he came home from work. He said he had just led a very famous person. If I was to say the name today, you would know who this was. A uh, very famous person of Christ. And he looked at me and said, I cannot believe I get paid to share my faith. And, and here I was an engineering student. I was working so hard and just trying to find just a couple hours every day to go out and share my faith. But this guy was doing it full time and I just broke. I'm like, why am I working so hard at this? I, I felt called to ministry uh, and, and being an engineer is great but I really felt like I, I wanted to do what he was doing. And so that was my sense of call at that point in time. That's very interesting that that strategy to call us a, a random person in the phone. Book, I've never heard of that ever. It, it happened. <laughs> no, as I said, we, I started doing that too. After really? I was just random, I was, I was randomly calling people in my dorm. Okay. I see. Yeah. But he was calling folks in the phone book. I think you said. Yeah. Right? In the, in the campus phone book, at in least the it campus was, phone it was book. students. Yes. Yeah. They probably don't even know what a phone book is, but it, it was a, he said it was a paper book that had all the names in it. It's kind of like your phone, except on paper. It's amazing what God uses to draw yes. people to himself. That's, that's oh, an I incredible know. story. I know. It was, it was great for me. I went back to my dad and said, Dad, why didn't you tell me? Why hmm. didn't you tell me about this? Because I, you know, he said, well, I, and he told me a story. He's 17 years old, walked into the church, received Christ. And he said, I figured it out. I figured you would too. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you had the truth. Your father didn't have it. You had the truth. You didn't give it to me. And you almost lost your son. So my, my father, before he uh, retired, he would do altar calls every single weekend from that point on, uh, recognizing wow. that people need to make a decision for Christ. So your conversion really impacted your father's ministry. And mine as well, because I realized there's probably lots of people like me who've been in church a long time, but they don't know Jesus. And, and so my evangelistic fervor coming to Christ as a 19-year-old rather than a nine-year-old my, my fervor was really high and recognizing the people in church missed it all the time. So um, evangelism is just, I, I actually, my, my master's of divinity is in evangelism because I was so excited. So, so much wanted to be focused on those who had never heard the, the gospel before or had been in church, had been religious lost, but didn't know Jesus. So help us with something here. This will be a little bit of a tangent, but hearing that and your heartbeat for that, I think a lot of church members probably struggle with that fourth point or that final question, like, would you like to receive Christ? How would you advise someone ask that question or get to that point so they don't do maybe what your father, I don't mean this in a weird way, but do what your father did to you. How would you suggest a church member ask that question? Well, they, they need to first wrestle with the question of what am I trusting in to get me to heaven? Well, what is it that I think that happened that, is enough to merit my salvation. And what happens even with the church be a lot of times, well, I'm, I'm a good person. Uh, I go to church all the time. I help old ladies across the street. I, you know, I serve a lot. I give a lot, whatever. And, and it's all about our personal effort 
Uh, it's something that we achieve. But the Bible says that, that salvation is something we receive through, through believing in Christ and what Christ has done on the cross. And so I would just wrestle with what am I trusting in? Uh, and, and here's, here's what it looks like. Um, you do something, you sin, you, you mess up in some way. And if you try to make up for it, then you know, you're in a kind of a performance-based relationship with God. But if, if you recognize that, listen, there's nothing I could do that that's sin, that's wrong. I, I should have never done that. And you go and you confess, you agree with God. It was wrong. You ask for his forgiveness. You acknowledge Christ's death on the cross. Uh, paid for that. All your sin, past, present, and future. Then that's that's believing in Christ. But but a lot of times we're in church. We just we we do the routine of going to church and being a good person and reading our Bibles and all that sort of stuff. It's all good stuff. But we're performing for acceptance rather than from it. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what what I would tell you is, is people in the church all the time are saying I, I'm doing all this because I want God to love me. I want to make sure I get to heaven it's, it's, uh, you don't have to do that. Uh, grace is free. It wasn't cheap, but it's free. And, uh, Christ died on the cross for your sin and for mine. And we acknowledge his work rather than our works and, and what he did on the cross is resurrection. And that, that's what makes a person a believer. Yeah. And if you're having that conversation with someone over the lunch table or, you know, maybe your neighbor, how would you ask that final then question to see if they want to trust Christ? What's kind of your uh, well? Mojo, I use something so called the I use something called the one verse method. I use Romans six twenty three, and if you were to go on the Converge YouTube uh, whiteboards, you'd see the one verse method is one of those one of those whiteboards. And I just walk through Romans six twenty three. I talk about the wages of sin being death, the gift of God being eternal life, and I draw a, a chasm between two two cliffs, and I say I, we're all on this side, and God's on the other side. What are you trusting in? This gap is called sin. Uh, what, what are you trusting in to get to God? And if you're talking about your works, and I, I just I just draw the I draw that. Uh, others call it the bridge, mm-hmm. but but Christ is the bridge. It's Christ and Christ alone. Our trust in Him, what He's done on the cross, His death and resurrection, that that shows that we truly understand the gospel. That it's not about my works, it's about what He is work. It's not what I do. It's what He has done. That that uh, is really what makes someone a believer in Christ. I appreciate your honesty about your dad and just that conversation. I suspect things are good. Oh, things are great. And he's doing super. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful he's still still around. He's 82 years old and he's he's walking with the Lord. I remember he turned 80 a couple years ago and uh, we had a big party for him and all his grandkids were in the room and he just, he begged them to know Christ. He begged wow. them to follow Jesus. And it was just, it was the most, it was the most, it was a great moment uh, in our lives and in our family life to hear my father talk about his legacy is I want more than anything to, you know, to know Jesus and to walk with Jesus. That's beautiful, Scott. A minute yeah. ago, you mentioned Converge, and that was probably the first time our listeners have heard that name uh, in this interview. So take a little time and um, tell us who Converge is. They may not know. Um, give us a little bit of an organizational bio. Sure. So Converge started as a Swedish Baptist conference of churches in 1852 in Illinois. Uh, it was, there were a group of Swedes, three of them, that came over, and they began to plant churches. They planted nine churches over six years. They continued to plant uh, later on on the West Coast, and then eventually got to the East Coast. And so they're, they're more of a northern uh, Baptistic group of, of Swedes. And back in the 19—they called themselves the Swedish Baptist General Conference— and back in the 1950s, they said, you know what? No more Swedish immigrants coming. We should probably start speaking English. 
and reaching other people with the gospel. <laughs> they were very evangelistic. Mm. So they started doing that and they became the Baptist General Conference, not to be confused with the Southern Baptist in Texas and things like that, but the Baptist General Conference. And then they changed the name of Converge in 2008. Um, most people know a converged church. They don't realize it. So if you know the name John Piper, well, John is a lifelong converged guy. Uh, if you know the name David Nelms, David Nelms is a converged guy uh, with Tim the Timothy Initiative. Uh, if you uh, if you know uh, Leif Anderson, National Association of Evangelicals, converged guy. Uh, Steve Douglas, the president of Crew, converged guy. John Ortberg was converged guy. Uh, there's there's so many that were converged uh, have grown up in Converge. And now we have become a very multicultural movement of churches. So over about 36% of our churches are non-Anglo churches. In other words, they speak other languages or they're multicultural or they're African-American, Latino. Uh, they're, they're, they're something, there's something um, other than Anglo and, and English speaking uh, in their, in their makeup. And so we're, we're truly multicultural. Going from a Swedish background, but a multicultural future is a very hard thing for a uh, for a group of churches to become. And so you went from being a pastor to working for this organization or collection yeah. of churches, right? Yeah. So the church, I, I, the church plant I went to in Arizona, I didn't know what the Baptist General conference was. I was looking for a job and uh, <laughs> I liked this pastor and he was very evangelistic. That's why I loved him. And I loved being under his leadership. And then I learned about the Baptist General conference, which became Converge. And, and like I said, that we had a whole church planting movement in Arizona. We planted 28 churches while I was there. And it was great because, uh, and Converge was doing a great job in Arizona. We, we went from having 1,000 people in services in 1993 uh, to having 52,000 people in services last year in, in that Phoenix area. And we're very, very excited about what God is, God is doing there. But I, yeah, so I, I started working for them. Uh, as the generosity director, I would help churches create a generous culture, not not raise money, okay. um, but, but create generous culture. Mm. Um, you know, generosity is the lowest form of evangelism. And I would uh, train them to be generous and how to reach their communities and things like that. And and, and then I, I get to see all these churches. I, I spoke and trained about 500 of our churches at the, that point in time. There's 1,500 now, but about 500 of them at that point in time. So I got to know the, the, the leaders of our movement. And I can tell you this, you know, they, they're not all um, rock star pastors in the sense of they're going to have mega churches and things like that. But you know what? They love Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's the foundation for any great ministry is they love Jesus. They love the word of God. And they believe that we're supposed to be evangelistic. Uh, we are conversionists. We believe people have to know Christ personally uh, uh, to, to have salvation. Yeah. And so your, your official title there with Converge is what exactly? President. Okay, the president so of Converge. So you mobilize all the Converge churches? Yeah, so I'm in, I'm the president of Converge. The we have actually 1491 churches right now in the United States and the and the Caribbean. And then we have missionaries in 34 countries. We have 175 missionaries in 34 countries around the world. We have 63 others that are raising support right now. And so I oversee all of that. Okay. Uh, it's my privilege to have a great team that works with me. And, and so I, uh, my job is to coordinate the vision, the mission, uh, the clarity of the message. And then the, those guys do all the work. Uh, and I'm, I get a lot of the credit. I'll just put it that way. But I'm grateful for my team. That's really good. So would you say that a lot of your role there now uh, focuses on getting the is in regards to missions, or is it more like just kind of helping the churches, or is it both and? Or walk me through a little bit of that. It percentages. Yeah. Even. So, 
if, if we were to talk about Converge, we would use three words, start, strength, and send. Uh, okay. We start church plants, uh, both uh, locally and globally. We strengthen existing churches to become more evangelistic, more community-focused, more multiplication-minded. And we send missionaries, global workers, to the least-reached peoples of the world. So that, that's what we do. We start, we strengthen, we send. And, and my main job is to keep the main thing the main thing. My, okay. I think churches, churches and Christians easily can forget that God has called us to make disciples. He's called us to, to preach the gospel to all creation. He's called us to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, to have a multiplication mindset. And so my job most of the time is to instill courage and clarity into the leaders of our movement. Well, that's very, very helpful. And I love the way you're making sure, even in the three-pronged strategy you're describing, that as one ladder leans against the wall of the Great Commission. Absolutely. And so it's, it's, Absolutely. I appreciate you not necessarily dividing your job up. That's really helpful. But you can't, you can't become a healthy church without multiplying. You just can't. Mm-hmm. And we try to multiply disciples, leaders, and congregations. And every church, that's our goal. Disciples, leaders, and congregations. That's what we want to multiply. So pastors make really good interviewees on this podcast because, and maybe I should say even former pastors, like um, I know that uh, you know David. So David, was it was a great interview. You're, I can already tell you're going to be a great interview, and you are because I feel like you guys know the, the trenches of pastoral ministry and trying to mobilize a congregation for multiplication and, and mission. But now in these roles where you're working with multiple churches, you kind of see what it's like on that side of the spectrum. So help pastors who are listening today. Um, when you were a pastor, how did you kind of keep them thinking both and and not just, you know, tunneling into just their community only or tunneling into some faraway country? Because how do you keep a one an Acts 1-8 mindset in your church? Sure. Well, we so we have a four-pronged approach to to this. I'm trying to create a culture, an evangelistic culture that mm. is uh, it reaches people here, near, and far. Uh, they're both local and, and global. And in everything, when you're trying to create a culture, you you look at four things. You look at the model of the leadership, uh, the motivation of your messaging, uh, the training that you have, the opportunities for training, and the celebrations that you have. And, and we so we decided. First of all, in the model of our leadership, we decided that if we're going to be a church that reaches the nations, we've got a church we need to be leadership that actually goes to the nations, spends time in missions. Uh, even as a youth pastor, I, I was real funny when I started at Sun Valley. I remember I was disappointed that there really wasn't much missions focus. The church planting was phenomenal, but things Things outside of people who look like us, who vote like us, who sing like us, who speak like us, that that was that was outside of our, our realm. And I remember going to my mentor and saying, well, I, I'm taking this job and I'm kind of disappointed uh, because they don't have a missions focus. And he said, uh, he said, well, have you not learned anything? He was the president of, of, of Columbia. And he said, have you not learned anything from me? And I said, well, he said, don't you realize that youth are always youth are always the ones that raise up the next generation of missionaries? And he said, you're going to be the youth pastor, so just do it. And so as a youth pastor, I started focusing on missions, and I took kids to Mexico and other places. And, and then the, uh, when I became lead pastor, we began to expand uh, in those things. And so we began to have partnerships around the world. And, and, and part of that is, is the modeling of going to those places and, and seeing it. So I remember one time I went to Fiji. I took my 14-year-old daughter with me along with a team, and we were there um, working with girls that were being rescued out of the sex slave trade in that country. And it was, it was just an, it was a great thing because I'm, I'm modeling, I'm modeling to my daughter, I'm modeling to my church. I'm sending videos back 
uh, from where we're at talking to the church while I'm while I'm gone. So we're modeling. And the motivation, scripture is the motivation. I mean, there's stories are great, but scripture is lasting. Mm. And the thing That's about good. scripture is over and over and over, over and over and over, scripture talks about that kind of that kind of thing. You're supposed to you reach uh, here, near and far. And then um, the the trainings, we would actually, we would have all sorts of trainings, uh, leadership development. Uh, we had, we'd send uh, students uh, that were junior high, high school on mission trips. And I would tell them, I, like when I would take them, I would, I would look at them and say, you know, they just let somebody to Christ. And I'd look at them and say, you realize the same Holy Spirit who lives in you in Mexico, lives in you in Arizona. Amen. That's that, right. Yeah. That, you know, if you can do this here, you can do that. You can do that at home too. And and trying to get that balance of evangelism and, and missions in their in our hearts and, and minds and and then the celebrating. You know what gets celebrated gets repeated. So if a pastor wants a, a church to focus on missions, then he's got to talk about it, he's got to celebrate it, he's got to put money is celebration, time is celebration, messaging is celebration, uh, you know, all those things. And so you gotta what gets celebrated gets repeated. And so model, motivate, train, celebrate is what I try to do. And I do that at Converge as well. Uh, which is, which is, I mean, it's not a new trick. It's just something that I, I recognize <laughs> those four things create culture. That's, mm. that's how culture is created, model, motivate, train, and celebrate. So if you want something to become part of your culture, whether it's prayer or evangelism or missions or worship or whatever it may be, model, motivate, train, celebrate. Yeah, that's a good handle for our listeners. So what do you think occurred in your heart to move you from pastoring one church to uh, leading the whole, uh, we'll call it a nomination? What happened? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think God, I think God works in people's hearts and over time uh, challenges and do other things. The thing about Paul in Acts 16, where he, you know, he was planting churches in Turkey, but then he felt the call to Macedonia. And, you know, I was, I was planting churches in Arizona, um, but we were figuring some things out. God was figuring some things out in my heart. And here's what I would tell you. Um, I think some people are called to a church. And some are called to the church. And, and the things that I was learning, the things that I was beginning to understand were reproducible. They were, they were trainable. They were transferable. And I was like, I, I could probably make a bigger impact. I could probably do more for the kingdom of God. Uh, even though I had been there 22 years and all my kids grew up there. And it was, you know, just devastating uh, in my heart to move away from Arizona to Florida. I moved, I moved from the oven to the dishwasher, if you know what I'm talking about. So uh, <laughs> at least good. I didn't move to the freezer up in Minnesota, right? So, uh, but uh, yeah, it, it, was, it, was just, it was just something that God put on my heart. I, I, I think he designed me to help the church and not just a church. Well, let's talk about the church for a moment, uh, because I, I love the way, and I don't really know you that well, Scott, but just in hearing you at Global Partners Weekend, even listening today, I do feel like God's really gifted you with somewhat of an analysis kind of mindset to see things, break them apart. Maybe it's your engineering background and the way God kind of wired you. And I've been just helped in hearing you talk then and even in this interview uh, in, in kind of analysis ways. So, in regards to the church, what do you think is the biggest obstacle? And maybe it's hard to nail one, but if you can try, yeah. what's the biggest obstacle that you face in your work as it relates to getting the gospel to the ends of the earth? So that that send uh, aspect of your role, what's the biggest obstacle to getting to that point to these least reached areas? It's always the focus of the leader. It's always what is the leader focused on? And what you focus on is what you'll move toward. And mm. so if you're focused on local ministry and that's your big thing, and if you're hard, you know, 
Uh, Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So if you're putting all your time, talent, and treasure into local things, then guess where your heart's going to go? It's going to go to local things. But if you start to move your move your heart to things that are you know, people who don't look like us, people who don't speak like us, people who don't have access to the gospel, people who are far away uh, from the church, but not far away from the heart of God, then your heart will move that that direction. So uh, there's a there's a courage issue among pastors, and there's a clarity issue among pastors. And uh, you know what we focus on is what we move toward. And so I, the biggest the biggest issue is leadership. It's leadership uh, leaders leaders lead. And if you're not pointing the direction and the way of those who are, you know, le- have least access and least possibility of knowing the gospel, then, boy, that's just, that's difficult. Um, I would also tell you that the second thing, if there was a second level, it's the, it's the lack of evangelistic fervor in the church. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the comfort level Christianity uh, where I'm going to do the things that make me comfortable, that it's, a, it's the Scottiocentric, I'm Scott, Scottiocentric uh, mindset, uh, that most believers have, of you know, the, I became a Christian to become a better person, or I became a Christian to, you know, stop sinning so much. I became a Christian, whatever. And they, they forget the call of the church is to make disciples. The call of the church is to take the gospel to the farthest regions of the world, which ironically, uh, I'm so glad that many, many people did, because you realize that probably from Jerusalem, the farthest ends of the earth, is Arizona, where you know I where I was a pastor. I mean, it's mm. it's the yeah, it's it's the they weren't even discovered back. Then. So you know, it's it's like hey, uh, someone figured that out in the past, but now there's opportunities to go other places where the gospel needs to be preached. So I, yeah, it's it's courage, it's it's leadership, it's focus, it's those kind of things. I I don't think it's it's not rocket science. There's just a few things. If if we just if we see what God sees, we'll do what He says. Mm. And and what he sees is, is the harvest is ripe, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. That's what he sees. And the harvest and is there. more than just what's around you only. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's just that's just it. I mean, it's uh, Converge made a decision about five six years ago. We were sending missionaries everywhere, and yet you realize that the large majority of missionaries, 90, 90 plus percent, are sent to places that already have established gospel presence. And we said, what if what if we reverse that? What if we send 90% of our missionaries to places that don't have access to the gospel, where it's less than 2% Christian? And we just we just we reversed our trend. And the funny thing was, is we have more missionaries on the field today than we ever have in our history because we actually decided, no, we're gonna go among the least reached peoples of the world and focus on that. And the result was more missionaries coming, God blessing mm-hmm. us with just top-notch leaders in different places around the world. I didn't know that about Converge. That's a that's a much appreciated turn. Thank you for doing that, and thanks for sharing that. You know, I heard a leader say one time, and this has kind of stuck with me: if you if a leader doesn't see it before they see it, then they will never see it. And right. what you're talking about here then is the leader needs to look kind of down the long lens and say, "Hey, we do local stuff, we do regional, but all of this has to lead to where those who are least reached benefit as well, so to speak." Is is that what you're saying? We've got to have focus and vision. Yeah, every every person needs to have access to the gospel. Every person needs to have the opportunity. And so those those of you who are going to your workplace, you're not a pastor, you're going to your business or your school or whatever, you know, God has perfectly positioned you to reach those people with the gospel. 
And so by all means, reach them with the gospel. Amen. But at the same time, at the same time, God has called us to reach the world with the gospel. And so it's not an either or, or it's a both and. And so we've got to have both and thinking. And what does that look like in our lives? Well, you know, people around me, it's already uh, difficult to reach people around me, but, um, but we've got to have a, a both fan mentality. And so uh, let's let's go ahead and figure out what does this look like in my personal life to be involved in something bigger than my city, bigger than my region and, and somewhere around the world. Someone who would never have access to the gospel if I would if I wasn't going to help them. Yeah. So you've hit upon an interesting uh, choice of words here, and that is access. You mentioned it a minute ago. And then, of course, there's need. So I've asked most of our interviewees this question. I, I'm really intrigued by it. I think most church parishioners, most congregationists uh, still get them confused. Uh, help us give even more clarity to these two words, access and need, because I think the, the comment I sometimes hear is, well, everybody needs the gospel. And, and maybe there's a, a confusion about, but not everyone has access to it. So bring some insight to that for us who are listening. So, so let me give an example. We, you know, one of the things we've done in Converge over the last few years, we just had this year a number of deaf missionaries pass our assessment and be, be placed. Because I know there's at least 35, according to the Joshua Project, 35 people groups that have very high deaf populations that don't even have a written language. That, so they're, they're deaf and they don't have a written language. Uh, they don't have access. And I'm talking about unengaged, unreached people groups with deaf. And so you, you've got the unengaged people groups, which means that no one's focused on them. Um, unreached means they don't have a gospel presence among them. People group means that they're a culture, they have a language, they have a culture, they have a, a way of living. Um, and, and, and when you're, you're a UUPG, un, unreached, unengaged, unreached people group, then no one's even thinking about you. Except God. Hmm. God's thinking about you. God's like, what, what is happening to my church? Because I, I designed them to reach the world. And these people don't even have access. Now, does your does the businessman at your workplace need the gospel? Absolutely. Like I said, preach the gospel, live the gospel, uh, lead them to Christ in the gospel. But, but what about those who never heard? Listen, here's the thing. Most churches are preaching about the second coming of Christ. These people have never even heard about the first coming of Christ. That, that's good, a that's lack good. of access. Okay. That's the lack of access. They, they don't even know. They don't even know Jesus existed. They don't know they could have forgiveness for sins. There's not even an option there. And yes, everyone needs the gospel, but you you can't. It's like in Romans 10, Paul says, "Well, how can they, how can they hear it if no one's sent to them? How can they believe they don't know yeah. it? I mean, it's just it's there, there's there's something different. There's a there's a greater passion and need. The idea that generations of people in these people groups have died without access to the gospel. It wasn't that they rejected the gospel. It wasn't that they they heard it and didn't understand it. It wasn't that they re- rejected it at all. It, it was, they didn't even know. They didn't know. That's just, I don't know. That's just, that just seems wrong. And, and, and it seems like it, it breaks the heart of God that he said, go and, you know, and, and reach every nation, ethne, mm-hmm. cultural group, people group. Uh, and we're just, Think well, you know, but everyone needs it. So I'll just I'll do what's convenient for me. Um, the Christian life, Jesus sacrificed. He gave his first and his best, 
and we're following Jesus. So we should give our first and our best to do the things that, that he wanted to do, which is reach the gospel, reach the world with the gospel. I, I just, you know, I get kind of passionate about that. Amen. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, access is a bigger issue than, than need, because when people don't even have an opportunity to respond, there's no access there. I mean, that, I'm talking about digital access, relational access, language access. They got nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That should be the game changer for pastors. Yeah. It should be to focus, like you said, on the long-term end result and how can they get everything pointed in that direction? And I I've discovered just in our ministry here, if that's your end game all along the way, you'll have evangelism and mission occurring to the needs that exist. But yeah. if you don't make that the long-term goal, you'll, you'll never get there even locally. Yeah, I've got a, so I've got a group of uh, an unengaged, unreached people group called the Bunku. Uh, they are in Indonesia. And for the last several years, I have invested financially uh, because one day Converge will send missionaries among the Bunku. Mm. And so I've been stockpiling money at Converge to help make sure the Bunku can have the gospel. They are Muslim. There are no believers among them. And there are 39,000 of them in a certain region of Sulawesi. And I would love for them to know the gospel. And so I've just personally adopted an unengaged, unreached people group. And so I, I I want that to happen. And so uh, are we ready to get to get them? No, we're not ready to get them, but are they ready? I mean, praying that God will make them ready. Uh, and maybe these years of prayer and finances, get financial giving and things like that. When the time comes, we can actually reach them. Uh, God's already softened the soil. Amen. So, I love your Advent example too. That's really helped me just maybe express it better. You know, these folks haven't, um, they're not worried about the second coming, haven't heard the first one. That's really a practical way for our church members to talk about access and need. So thank you. Hey, you mentioned language groups and people groups. Uh, let's talk maybe some, maybe uh, scholastic facts for a minute. Help our listeners. How many language groups are there? How many have yet to hear the gospel? And maybe help us understand what criteria is used in determining maybe what a language group or a people group is. Well, I don't know the actual number of language groups. I can tell you right now that, um, We've, we've looked at the groups that have less than 2% believers in okay. them. And there's about 7,200 language groups that, that qualify for that 7,200 that are less than 2%. Uh, again, I can name, there's 35 deaf communities that have absolutely nothing. There's another 100 or so that I know that have absolutely nothing uh, that are not deaf. Um, but groups like Wycliffe, and the Joshua Project and Finish the Task and other groups are, they're much better with the, with this, the stats. But there's, and when I, when I say 7,200 groups, I mean, there's, there's millions and millions of people that I'm talking about there. And as far as the, the less 2% uh, number, I'd say there's about 3 billion people that are in, the, in those groups. You know, I'm a part of something called the GACX. It's the Global Alliance for Church Multiplication. I'm actually the chairman of that. And our goal uh, over the past 10 years was to plant 5 million churches among the least reached peoples of the world. Now, when I say church, I'm talking about a community of believers who have reproduction, who hold to the scriptures, who've made you know, salvation decisions, and they're reproducing next level disciples. Uh, and so it's, it's very different. So that doesn't mean they have buildings, uh, things like that. But 
the bad news is we didn't reach our five million goal. The good news is we did plant 2.1 million churches <laughs> among good. them. Uh, so uh, we're, we're, we're just keeping on with our goal of five million because we, we want to plant one church for every thousand people who don't have access to the gospel, whether they be in the city or the country or whatever. So uh, I, I'm not real good with the, knowing the, the, the language groups and things like that. And which one, I, but I can tell you that we are reaching people that never heard the gospel and that un, unengaged, unreached people groups are hearing the gospel for the first time. There are others that, again, no one's focused on them yet, and we've got to figure out how to get there. But uh, a lot of it's going to be more relational uh, than it is. These are groups that you, you don't even have access to in a sense. You can't send an American there. That's true. You're right. But, you need to cross but a near culture kind of person, don't you? But the, but but a lot of them are in China and India and you know in the stands and in Indonesia and Southeast Asia. But I can't go. But if we raise up disciples in Indonesia, they can go. Amen. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 really not about it's the day of the mission, American missionary is not over, but it is changing the sense that our our job now is to actually train nationals with the gospel who, who will then reach their nations. That's a good word there. Not over, but changing. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. And, and I think you would say that the great commission then is finishable. Well, I, I don't think Jesus would have asked us to, to do it if he didn't think mm-hmm. it could be done. So, I mean, the Holy spirit is <laughs> going to give us the Holy spirit. Yeah. He, he commanded us to do it. So I'm assuming that, He's God. He knows what he's talking about. I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Amen. Now, do I, am I one of those people that says, well, uh, as soon as we give access as, as to um, someone who in this people group, I don't know when the day is. I'm not, I'm not going to, I mean, Jesus didn't tell the disciples, don't even think about stuff like that. Just preach the gospel. Just go out there and yeah. live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, but reach the nations. That's good. Um on a personal note, then, as you think about, you know, leading these f- almost 1,500 churches towards that end, what do you envision for your future there, or maybe even for the future of Converge? Where do you sense God working and moving? Kind of what's next on your horizon there? Here's, well, here's the great thing about the local church. It's so powerful. I mean, the Holy Spirit leads these leaders, and they, a lot of the mission uh, areas we're in, it's because one of our churches was there first. Mm. You know, they, the, the, the church, uh, Bill Hybels, you say the church is the hope of the world. Now, Jesus is the hope of the world, but the church is his instrument. And I, I get so excited about these churches that are actually paving the way for us. This is the great thing about being a part of a movement is that there are people who are smarter than you. There are people who are ahead of you. There are people who figure things out and then they share it with you. And this is the beauty about a group like Converge is that we are, I was the one that got us in Indonesia. My, my church was in Indonesia and then Converge came in Indonesia. And so it, it's, you know, and, and different, uh, we were in Poland and we were we got Converge into Poland. So, but Converge to other countries, they were way ahead of us. And so I think what, I, what I'm excited about with the church is that uh, what we're going to do together is just continue to focus on the end goal, which is reaching the nations with the gospel. But the, the challenge these days is keeping the American church focused keeping them, keeping the main thing, the main thing. Uh, we get so caught up in so many things that are secondary and we get caught up in things that we, you know, we, we, what I've noticed this year is if I can just take a tangent at this point in time, everything has become so political that we've missed the spiritual biblical foundations of things behind them. And so we're supposed to reach people, not who, not just people who look like us, who 
act like us, who speak like us. Um, even the story of the Good Samaritan, they were not of the same culture. <laughs> that, that was the point. I mean, there was, there was, there was someone who didn't, who didn't live like him, who didn't look like him, who didn't believe like him, and yet he was the Good Samaritan uh, to, to him. That's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's a picture of what God has said. Listen, and here's the other piece, is that the world has come to us. And so if I can go off on a tangent real quick, you know, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, I mean, that's about as American as you get. I mean, that's, 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 you know, Sioux Falls, farmers, tractors, John Deere, Harleys, Harleys. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, I was just there recently. Um, You know how many languages they speak in the Sioux Falls school system? No, it's over 120. Over 120 languages in South Dakota school system. Yeah, not even a border state. You're right. No. You're right no. in the middle. The, the nations have come to them. The Somali population, the, the Eritrean population that's there. I have a friend who's a pastor of an Eritrean church. You're like, what's that? Go look it up. It's in, it's in you know, east, northeast Africa, <laughs> uh, near Djibouti, if you know where that's at. I mean, who, who would have thought? Who would have thought? Uh, and so there, the, the world has come to us. Listen, um, we, and, and if we reach these people with the gospel, I was in, I was in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago and my, my Uber driver was more from Mauritania. And, uh, I said, I said, wow, I think you're the first Mauritanian I've ever met. He said, well, there's only three of us in Minnesota. And he named me two other guys. And, wow. uh, but, but, <laughs> what if, but what if he came to Christ? What if he came to Christ and Mauritania is about as Muslim as you can get. What if he came to Christ and then went back to his country and began reaching people with the gospel? I mean, God has given us the opportunity of a lifetime. And I I can't, I I live in Orlando. It's very, very multicultural here. And uh, what a great opportunity. My neighbors uh, behind us are from Peru. The neighbors um, uh, across the street are from, from Colombia. The neighbors across the street are from Iran. We have one from, you know, Iceland, (laughs) you know, what a great opportunity to reach the nations that have come to me, but hopefully they'll go back and and reach the nations as well. And I think you nailed it in the, the future being keeping the American church from going to sleep. I think you're exactly right. Amen. Yeah. We're, we're, we, we have, we've been designed for ministry. We've been designed to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. And what a privilege. What a privilege we have. We have all the access in the world to the gospel. We have all the support we could possibly need. We just need to be the church. Church is not mm. a building you sit in. It's a movement you choose to be a part of. And so let's just let's just be the church. Amen. Scott, is um, there a way that folks could contact you? I'm not sure how you want to give out any kind of maybe information, but there may be some folks who'd want to connect with you some way. Uh, what's the best way to reach out to you if they wanted to? Well, it's uh, first is just my email. It's scott.rideout. And there's no E in rideout. It looks like ridout. Scott.rideout at converse.org. And the other is I'm on, we're on Facebook. Uh, my wife, Lisa, and I share a Facebook page, scott-lisa rideout. Again, it looks like ridout. But um, that's probably the best way to, uh, to reach us. If, uh, converse.org is our website. You can find okay. out a whole lot more about uh, what countries we're in and what we're trying to do and well, recently we just uh, we just started a brand new goal of planting 312 new churches here in the states, and then thousands we want to plant around the around the world as well. But uh, but our our five year goal is 312 new congregations here in the states, and we're excited what God is going to do. That's even good. during the pandemic, we had 20 new congregations started in 2020. Yeah, Amen. Well, I I personally uh, I personally believe 
uh, tough situations are actually where we get the most done. I think we dig yeah. in, we, we find out who's really on the team. And I've really welcomed just the clarion call that's come out of this crisis of 2020. Yes. And just thinking, yeah. man, we're, who better equipped to handle crises than God's people? That's when the church has grown the most as you look back through, you know, centuries of history. Absolutely. And, yet, and sometimes yeah. it feels like we're, we're complaining about what could be the, one of our best opportunities. It wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt the church to have a little bit of conflict, a little bit of, of mm. crisis where we're having to trust God and not our comfort anymore. That would, Amen. that would be a great thing. So. Uh, well, Scott, thanks so much for your time. I uh, could pick your brain all day, but I really appreciate it. Um, one last question. Do you only speak in converged churches or if some of our listeners wanted to invite you in and it's not a converged church? Is that, is there weeks in your schedule where that's allowed? Well, it's very kind of you to ask that. I Yes, I definitely speak at other churches. I've been doing that for quite a bit. And I, I do have to prioritize some converged churches. But um, if a church has a has a heart for the things I'm talking about, I love, I'd love to help them out. Well, you know, his contact information there, listeners. And so as God were to be lead you that way, I can guarantee you this. I've heard him uh, at a weekend conference. I've talked to him personally. And this guy, Scott, will lead you and your church towards keeping your eye on the end game. Uh, and that will make all the difference. Scott, thanks for your time. My privilege. Thanks. That's very kind. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. To learn more about how to support this podcast and our partners, go to toddstyles.net slash podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app.